0: The Long Story Short Podcast with Liz
1: Calloway. Welcome to The Long Story Short, the weekly podcast on Burn Media. I'm Liz Calloway. If you're enjoying The Long Story Short, be sure to like it and share it with your friends. We all need to work together to save America. And now on with the show.
2: It's Long Story Short with Liz Calloway.
1: February is here. It may may have you thinking about spending a lot on Valentine's Day. Well, you know, if you saved your money properly, perhaps you'd have a lot to spend. Um, But you know what? Saving is a great thing. You can give the gift of saving. Why not? In fact, if you tune in right now, we're about to embark on our third edition of How Money Works. It's a seven-week series that we're doing here with Wealth Waves, Mark Elliott, and Certified Financial Educator J.D. Phillips. So we're going to be covering milestones, uh, money milestones number two and three that you can find in the How Money Works book. And uh, welcome to the show. Welcome back, gentlemen.
0: Hello. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Hi. All right. So, Mark, let's start with you. We're talking about money milestone number two, the proper protection. How much protection do you need uh, to protect your assets and your income? And there's there's probably a formula for that. And we can talk about that um, as we continue our series. So what could you tell us about money milestone number two?
0: Well, well, thank you Liz and 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 appreciate you having us back on again. And yeah, you know, as we talked, you know, going through the financial education. Obviously, last week we talked about some money concepts, but you're right, proper protection is key. You know, from here it is protecting the assets and, you know, your income, your savings, the things you have. And as you said, it depends on where you are in your journey in life what you may need to protect. And there are different ways to determine how much and what kind of protection you may need. That's going to vary on a variety of aspects. You can look at, you know, your age, debt, income, dependence, uh, maybe your health situation, your overall financial status. So there's a a variety of ways to go through that. Um, J.D., why don't you expand on on, on some of the ways we do the protection
2: aspect? Certainly, Mark. Thank you. And thank you, Liz and Nick, for having us. We are pumped up about today and we're going to help people get on the right track. So when we speak of protection, we talk about protecting two main things. You must protect against um, a loss of savings. That's important when you begin to save money. The other is you got to protect your income because that's the machine, the generator, that puts the money in the tank for you to run your budget and run your life and, and run your savings plan. And what's interesting is when it comes to protection, the first place we start is, of course, with life insurance. Regardless of what you think about it, it's just where you start when you want to protect your income and potentially loss of savings. And what's amazing is um, only fifty nine percent, just a little less than sixty percent, even have life insurance. Huh. And so and about half of those lives are underinsured. So when there comes to this whole issue of life insurance, two major questions are asked. And you asked the first one, it was perfect setup for us. It's okay, how much do I need? You right. guys tell me I gotta have a life, insurance. how much? Well <clears throat> there, there is a calculation. There's basically two formulas. The first one is a basic rule of thumb, and that's 10 times your current income. So if you're in a job or an opportunity and you're earning 50000 a year, 10 times 50000 be $500,000 of uh, life insurance protection that you would need to replace the income if something catastrophic were to happen. And when you think about that on your – on your income, why would you need that much? Or is that even enough? Well, we believe that's actually on the low end because if you take your income times your age times the time to retirement, the number is quite surprising. For instance, if I'm a 25-year-old and I'm lucky enough to come out of school and, and get a job and earn, let's say, 50,000, well, if I took the time to live between 25 years old and 65 years old, called average retirement, that's 40 years. Well, if I'm earning 50000 a year for 40 years and I never get a raise, I never get a bonus, I just showed up and did the grind for 40 years, I'm still bringing in $2 million during my career. So people don't even understand that over time, everybody's a potential millionaire, which is why we have to protect this. Well, if I have a young family and something happens and I'm 35, well, that left me 30 earning years. That I would have made that $50,000, but if something bad happens and I don't show up and I've got a wife and a child or two, well, that means they're going to miss out on $1.5 of income that would have come through that door if I had showed up for work. So now what do you do? So protecting an income is important and using formulas to adjust where you are is exactly how we get there. So the factors are you know, age, debt, family. And everybody is separate and different, and we help people calculate through this formula to understand what their target is. And from there, we make it their decision on what they think is important for them. So that leads us to, okay, if I know how much I need, then what kind? I mean, there's <clears throat> gazillions uh, types of insurance out there. The two main categories are what we call term insurance and permanent insurance. Liz, Liz, it's mm-hmm. like term or perm, right? And the the funny thing is most companies or people that sell uh, insurance for a living sell one kind or the other. If you sell term insurance, that's the only kind you should buy. If you sell permanent (laughs) insurance, that's the only kind you should buy. Right. And the answer is neither one's right. It depends on circumstances. It depends on what their goal is and what they're trying to accomplish. That makes some sense. When you're young, you're first starting out. If your budget's low, well, term insurance is the way to go. You get a lot of coverage for a few dollars, and you know you've covered catastrophe, and that can be changed or converted later into a permanent plan where you can begin to save money. The next issue is, if you think about that, how do people buy term? Well, you buy based on exactly that, the term of time, a 10-year period, a 20-year period, or a 30-year period of coverage where you have X number of dollars of coverage for that amount of time, for that amount of dollars. And that's the good news. But here's something to think about. As you own term insurance, it's a great strategy, we believe, short-term. Long-term, you probably want to figure out how to convert some of that to a permanent plan where you can build uh, revenue and cash and assets with it. Because with term insurance, what happens is at the end of the term, it goes away. So if I'm 25 years old and I buy 20 years of term, and now I'm 45, well, if I'm still living, which is the goal, we outlived the coverage. Well, at that point, I have to go get new insurance because I've outlived my term. Well, the, the good news is you outlived it and you won, which is what we all want. Mm-hmm. The bad news is that 20 years of premiums you pay, even if it's only a few hundred dollars per year, that compounded, if you could have had that money at 4 5 or 6% in your account, you'd have a lot of money. But the insurance company has that money in their account. So, We gotta figure out how to balance that so we get to reclaim some of these dollars in our savings, which helps us build wealth. So term insurance is a great strategy for short-term and medium-term goals. Long-term goals is where we put a focus on permanent coverage, because as you grow and your earning power goes up, you have more of an opportunity to save. Well, with permanent insurance, there's other things you get. You get the death benefit coverage, But you also get a savings plan inside. The cash that you plow into these contracts, it begins to grow. And cash value can grow up and be a complete separate asset than your 401K, than your savings at the bank, than the equity in your home. But it's liquid, and it has massive advantages. Some of the advantages, and we'll talk about these later in milestone number six, but some of them are when you save money inside of a permanent life insurance contract, number one, there's no market risk. So if the market goes down, your money doesn't. You get to pass all your money on at some point that you save tax-free, and as you're growing your money, it can grow tax-free. And believe it or not, Liz, when you get to retirement age, if you've been funding one of these types of accounts, you can turn a switch on and have the account as a savings bucket send you tax-free income to supplement and benefit your retirement. So there's massive advantages It's all in the structure, and that's where we come in. We can show people exactly how to do that and blend these coverages so we protect our income and we protect against loss of savings.
1: The last piece uh, I'll make. Go ahead. Well, before you go into that, so when a young person, let's say someone with a young family, are are looking at these permanent life insurance versus a term, why Mm -hmm. do they opt for the term? Is it usually less expensive? Is that why? Or— That's the main
2: driver, Liz, and it's a great question because with a term policy, you're really paying what they refer to as the cost of insurance. And it's just there's a calculation based on your age and your health that says if you're 27 years old and you're healthy and you want $100,000 of life insurance, this is the cost. And all the prices are basically the same. It's a commodity, and it's a low number. It might be $25, $30 a month or even less Mm -hmm. when it goes to permanent. That number might be, let's say, $100. Well, what people say, well, gosh, J.D., why would I pay $100 I can pay 20 Well, the answer is in the permanent plan, when the 100 goes in, they use approximately 20 of that to pay for the coverage, and the other $80 goes into a savings bucket in the, inside that contract, inside that policy that becomes your own bank, and you get to have both. So you're either going to save the money outside in your savings account or you or in, in an investment account, or you're going to save inside your insurance and
1: Is that money what? invested at some kind of do, – do you get to choose what that money gets invested in or the percentage that you lock it in at, or how does that work?
2: Um, as a matter of fact, you do, and there's variations of that. There's some you can put it in as basically a fixed type of rate that's paid off of the performance of the company, like a dividend. Others are performance-based on the market, and there's some new types of contracts that now pay where you can actually earn money up up to a certain cap or top, but if the market were to go down, your money doesn't go away. So you've got to get the best of both.
0: Hmm.
2: So in, in our opinion, it's about all of it. you got to have a little bit of all of it to balance out your portfolio, but once you do everything just one way, in our opinion, we should mix it and make sure we're spreading our risk and increasing our ability to uh, have access to our money, which is another huge benefit we'll talk about later. You can get to this money while you're living, while you're working, and it with no age with restriction. So um, the other piece of the protection before I, I want to bring Mark on to talk about um, our um, ability to, to create accounts where we have emergency funds is this. There's a massive, massive issue when it comes to protection that faces us all. And I'm talking about you know, our, our kids are twins, they're 24, they're just getting rolling. But I talk to them about this even now. It's long-term care. And I know when we say those words, people immediately think a silver-haired um, grandma, grandpa and a nursing home, and they need long-term care. So the answer to it is yes, that's true, potentially. But what's even more important is young people should uh, begin to look at that now because here's the issue. Over the age of 55, 70%, so 7 out of 10 of us are going to need access to long-term care. What's long-term care? Well, that means if you have an issue physically and you can't do basic things like eating, dressing, taking a shower, using the restroom, and moving from one place to another, if anything happens where you can't do a couple of those activities, then you qualify for care. because so that means somebody's probably going to have to help you do those things? Well, that takes money. Well, some people say, well, I'll get my kids to come in and take care of me. Well, that's not the greatest scenario if you have to do it, I can assure you. But what if there's money to, to be available to do that? Well, there is. It's called long-term care. And what that is is a separate check that shows up if you need it and it pays for care, you can pay for care at home if you want to stay in your home or it can pay for care of the facility. And if you address it when you're young, what happens is the cost to do that is very, very little. But the cost, if you don't do it, is huge. Liz. I'm talking the average long term care claim or payout typically to stay in a facility is somewhere around $50,000 $60,000 a year, and mm-hmm. the average stay is two and a half years. So you're, you're talking one hundred and twenty dollars to $250,000 if you have to have long-term care. And if you stay at home, well, the, the cost is less, but you usually last a little longer. So it's three or four years. Well, you're still looking at one hundred fifty dollars to $250,000 of a potential liability if long-term care is an issue. And we have a way to help people combat that. And it's creative, it's efficient, and it's a guarantee that they have the money there and they need it, they can use it. If they get through life and don't use it, they're one of the three out of 10 that don't need long term care, then all the money gets returned with a <laughs> profit to their family. So they win either way. It's all in structure. And that's something that we talk about when we sit with people with their um, every calls
1: with long-term care, you um, put into it every month, like any other type of insurance, but if you don't use it, it's, you said it's returned to you, but is that after you die and you never use it or I don't understand.
2: Okay. Well, it's a great question. So um, if you, in traditional plans, if you put the money in and you don't use it, you're right. you, you never use the coverage, and you die. They keep all the money. Well, that's the old way, and that's why three out of ten people didn't didn't buy it because they, I'm going to roll the dice. I think I can sneak by, and the only problem is that they guess wrong. It's bad. Mm-hmm. However, it, there's a way now that we can attach it to a life insurance contract. So if you need it while you're living, you have it. If you don't need it, all the premiums that you pay for it, get returned in the form of the death benefit so the money where you have taken it from which has have been out of an investment account that you probably would have never spent or out of the equity of a home you get that money anyway so you can have it both ways it's on the structure and that's something that's very exciting it's probably one of the hottest topics in healthcare and uh in care today so great question liz and i'm kind of watching our our clock here i know mark's got some information yeah. he wants to share on on the uh, emergency fund so. yes take it away, yeah, no, thank you j d yeah no that that
0: is you know obviously as we're sitting here hitting these these milestones, you know that proper protection is key and and again these are this is kind of the roadmap, the things you address, and you know milestone number three really it sounds simple, it's just having an emergency fund set up, and you'd think everyone would, but again as as we talked uh, previously, you know forty four percent of Americans can't handle a four hundred dollar emergency, wow. and we all know. That emergencies happen all the time mm-hmm. you know that they do come up o- over time and you know but we have to account and plan for them you know by having this emergency fund set up and you know so again kind of like with the rule of thumb on, on the protection aspect you know is there one well there is you know and it's kind of should we have somewhere between a three to six months of our income set aside that we can count on for these emergencies so if you take someone who's at thirty thousand dollars of income annually now well, that would mean that somewhere they should have between 7,500 and 15,000 set aside for emergencies, and you know the process there is it's discipline. It's it's building the process where you you put a little bit away to build up and have that emergency fund, and that it's there, and and then you really follow you know really two basic rules that really are for an emergency fund. One is it's there for just that emergencies. It's not there for you know let's go find a Black Friday sales special or, or buy birthday presents or do things like that. It's for emergencies, a true emergency. And, and then, and then really rule number two is that it's there. So you use it for that, but then when you do use it, you do want to build it back up. And, and again, so that's where you go back and you discipline yourself to say, okay, we've, we've, we've had it there. It helped us get through that emergency. Now let's go ahead and again, contribute a little bit out of, out of our monthly process our monthly budget. To, to build back up to that three- to six-month number that we have out there. That's what keeps us comfortable. And, and you know, if you do it that way, and, again, it, it, it sounds simple, but it's amazing as we talk to folks, and it backs up the statistics we see, how many people don't even think about having that. It's just, you know, well, that's my natural. I'll take it out of my savings. Well, taking it out of your savings impacts other things you do. This is truly an emergency fund that's set aside for that. So it say- really is.
1: Where do you suggest people keep that emergency fund open a separate account or have an automatic deduction with your paycheck set up at the bank? You know, how do you, you know, how do you help people establish that?
0: Great, great, great question. And, and, and again, it, it really comes down to how, how people are wired, they're individual. I would always say keep it separate. I think that's best to do because most people don't separate and look at their savings that way. Um, and if they need the discipline of that, that automatic deduction to put it into that account, that's great. You know, if you can't do it yourself and, 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 and manage your funds when they come in and separate them that way, that's one good way to do it. It's, it's whatever's going to work for the person. But, again, it, it does come down to having the discipline and realizing that that right there It it alleviates so many aspects. One, the ability to pay for those emergencies, but also just the emotional strain and the anxiety that comes with as these things pop up. And we all have been there. We all have something happen, whether it's something in the house or something goes wrong from a a medical perspective or whatever. And and you don't need that extra strain. Knowing it's there, it really, really is is a milestone that I think is is very key that people do address.
1: We're speaking with Mark. Elliot of Wealth Wave and uh, Certified Financial Educator J.D. Phillips. Uh, so that was Money Milestones 2 and 3. Now, next week, we are going to skip next week because I'm going to be away, but we will pick up again uh, the following week. And uh, that will be about debt management and cash flow. Uh, you can catch all of these um, segments on the talk945.com website or on my podcast, The Long Story Short with Liz Calloway. We're giving it uh, two different places where you can land and re-listen to these. But I highly suggest, um, it's very interesting, if you have this book, I'm so glad that we're doing this this radio series to go along with the book because it, it just brings the book to life. The name of the book is How Money Works. You can go to howmoneyworks.com slash Mark Elliott, with two L's and two T's. Um, if you go onto that website, you can um, you know request a copy of this book. It's great to have this handbook with you. And as we walk through all of these milestones together, I mean, the, it's so much of a greater understanding of each one of them. So when you go and sit in front of your financial person, you are well-equipped and well-versed, and you know exactly what you need, and you know what's coming, and you don't have to go through this whole... Um, learning curve to get the proper financial education you'll have that and so you're an educated consumer and you can make better choices for your you and your family I mean I, I'm learning so much guys I, I really appreciate all the uh, work you've put into uh, bringing this book to life for um, for our talk 945 family. I know we're going to be helping a lot of people get a handle of their finances with this financial education so thank you so much and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. And you're
2: Thank welcome. You,
1: Thank have you. a great
2: week. Thank Take you. Bye bye. The Long Story Short Podcast with Liz Callaway.
1: Thank you for downloading Long Story Short. If you need to reach me, you can always email me at Liz Calloway, LLC at gmail.com. That's Callaway with all A's. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a review, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, I'm Liz Callaway.